My guest today is Amelia Ruby. Amelia is the host of the Off the Grid podcast and owner of Softer Sounds Studios. Off the Grid is a podcast for small business owners who want to leave social media without losing all their clients. Naturally, I was so curious about this idea of not being on social media to promote yourself. So that's what we chat a lot about in this episode. We talk about what does marketing look like if you're not on social media? How do you get the word out there? What are the pros and cons? And a lot more. I hope you find this episode as insightful as I did. Please enjoy my conversation with Amelia Hoopy. This is the show for digital creators by digital creators. Hosted by me, Dylan Schmidt, a Los Angeles-based content creator who loves to blend marketing, creativity, and business. Join in as we explore online entrepreneurship, creator best practices, and more. Each week, I'll bring you interviews with successful creators, tips and tricks for growing your online presence, and simple insights into the latest trends and strategies I'm seeing and using in the space. Welcome to Digital Podcaster. Welcome to Digital Podcaster, Amelia. I'm so honored to have you here today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dylan. I've thoroughly been looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Can you share a little bit about yourself with us and your podcast? Yeah, of course. So... Hello, digital podcaster listeners. I'm Amelia Ruby. I am a writer. I am an educator. I am a podcaster. I have a PhD in philosophy, and I used that fancy degree to start a podcast studio. <laughs> Not the most traditional path, but now I run Softer Sound Studio, which is a virtual podcast studio where we support creators in making shows with purpose. And we work primarily with women and NB artists, small business owners, entrepreneurs. And when I launched Softer Sounds, I did it without any social media. And people were so curious how I launched a business without social media and how it became successful without social media. We have a full client roster pretty much all the time. And we never post anything on Instagram, X, TikTok, Facebook, anywhere. (laughs) So I about six months into the business, I started a podcast called Off the Grid, leaving social media without losing all your clients. And on that show, I share stories, strategies and experiments for launching or growing a business without social media. And I also interview business leaders and former influencers to talk about their creative marketing strategies, and the ways that they are sharing and selling their work without these apps that we've all come to know, love, and hate a lot of the time. And what are people's first reaction typically when you tell them that you launched a business without social media? The first reaction is surprise. And then I see it flip into like relief. It's like, oh my gosh, I can do that. That's a possibility for me. And it really becomes this like exhale of, wow, I needed to know this was possible. I could see a sigh of relief. I don't know what the word is, but definitely like, um, well, it's it's almost like a, a brilliant form of marketing too, because it's so like counterintuitive to everything going on. And I was telling you right before we hit record, you know, surveying my audience recently, uh, time came up with, was one of the biggest obstacles to people's uh, perceived and just a real obstacle in the way of them growing their content, their podcast, their online business. And what do you do with all the free time if you're not using it on social media? (laughs) (laughs) Well, 
Often I will tell people that unfortunately, leaving social media doesn't necessarily mean your phone addiction goes away. (laughs) Like you still might pick up your phone a million times a day and just not have social media apps on it. So I definitely had some of that experience. But I think for the most part, I've been able to channel my time back into my own creative pursuits. It's part of why I can run a business full time with a team and host my own weekly podcast that I produce and edit myself. And I also like to spend time doing things like watching movies and gardening and playing with my dog. And so yeah, it's been a combination of other online things and some offline things now that I'm not scrolling on Instagram for hours a day. I have to ask, and I'm sure everyone is like, how do you promote anything? How do you do anything without social media? (laughs) Yeah. So I am a big fan of the newsletter. I have an email newsletter. I have a couple of different sort of email marketing channels through in my ecosystem. So there's one just for off the grid. There's another list that's for softer sounds. There's a personal list that I have. And so I am sending not a lot of emails, but regular emails out to people to share what I'm up to, what I'm selling, what I'm thinking about. I also, of course, podcast. So I love podcasting. I have two, three, three active shows right now of my own, depending on kind of how you're finding me and what you're interested in about my work. And, you know, I think that for a lot of people are surprised that. I still make so much content because they think of content and social media as synonymous. And really, I'm making the content, but I'm sharing it in other ways. So like I said, over email, through podcasts, and then the time I used to spend taking those things and like converting them into social media assets, I spend a lot more time now working on collaborations, trying to get the content in front of other people's audiences, having conversations like this one. And so I found that that's actually way more effective to be putting that energy into sharing my work with other people who don't know me yet, instead of just, you know, throwing it up on my Instagram for an audience of pretty much all people who've already opted into hearing from me. And not even most of those because of algorithmic suppression and all the things happening on those platforms. Can I just say this is like meta, not the social media platform, but how nice it is when I'm speaking with other podcasters, because there's something in the delivery of the response that is just so crisp and clear. Um, speaking with people who aren't normally on podcasts and they might either like say a couple words or like go on for like 15 minutes and it's like, wait, where are we going again? And it's always when I'm speaking with other podcasters who do it regularly that their responses are just like, man, that's so great. Everything is just so nice and easy to understand. Yeah, I think especially because I am an editor, (laughs) I self-edit now. Like Even as I'm recording, I'm kind of like, okay, I am a little more concise, a little less run-on. I spend so many hours a week listening to people who say very meaningful things but never finish a sentence along the way. And so I've gotten much better at completing a thought and pausing before just like launching into the next idea. Oh my gosh, right? It has to be something with the editing because there's nothing like when you're editing something and you're like, well, I'm going to wait, where's the end of this thought this person just gave? It never, it never finished. And then they're already on to the next. And you're like, is it me? Did I, was there was no end to be found. There was no end to be found. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is incredible. So 
um, going back just a sec before I was went sidetracked on just like your <laughs> awesome answer. That was just, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you had mentioned the conversations that you're having and the organic nature that we were introduced through Ariel, who I had on digital podcast just a couple of weeks ago introduced us. Do you find that like, so you mentioned more time for conversations and more presence, I would say, is that one of the gifts of, of not kind of using the high speed nature of social media as much? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's so much research that shows the harm that social media does to our mental health. And so stepping back certainly can help us develop more mindful habits. It can help us take better care of ourselves and our psyche. And I think that that does lend a lot more presence or make it feel easier to be more present in our lives. And then I think you know, from my perspective as a as a creator and as a business owner, I've just really been struck by the power of relationship marketing, aka good old fashioned networking. And because I'm not spending hours a week creating social media content and engaging, especially in the first like year and a half or two years of my business, I did just a lot of connection calls with people. They were more necessarily like clients or prospective clients, but more just people who, you know, had a similar approach to podcasting to me or to marketing, or we shared values in some other way. And growing my network and maintaining this community of people who know about my work, care about my work, and I feel the same way about them. Like that is actually what has led to the growth of the podcast more than anything else. And it feels counterintuitive because you would think like, I can't grow the show one listener at a time. Like I hear people say that, like that's so slow and challenging. But the way I think of it is I'm not growing it one listener at a time. I'm growing it one person's community at a time. So if I make a really meaningful connection, they're going to share it. And now it's not just that one person's going to listen. I have like a whole new sort of community node that will find out about the show through them. And it's been really exciting to see this approach work really organically over the past two years. And you know, I like to be really transparent. So I'm happy to share numbers like between the first and second season of Off the Grid. In the first season, my episodes were being downloaded, maybe 150, 200 downloads an episode, which is a fine for a first season effort. But now we're looking at episodes that are being downloaded at least a 1000 downloads per episode or in the first 30 days. So I've had this sort of like five or 10 times growth by continuing to meet people and connect with them and ask them to share the show. And I'm just really grateful. It it really just like brings I have I feel a lot of gratitude that I get to know these people and that they're sharing my work. You're saying all the buzzwords in my head. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Just brief backstory about me. Like before June 2021, you wouldn't find anything about me on line really yeah like actively would scrub myself from social media from google from all that stuff because i just didn't want unless i was intentionally putting it out there which i wasn't putting anything out there Uh, no podcast no nothing it was just like client work but it wouldn't have my name attached to it whatsoever you couldn't find anything about me so for years it was like just behind the scenes and i'm so big on the mindfulness around 
content. You know, I think it's like something that's so overlooked because content as a whole, generalizing, it kind of gets lumped in with content marketing, strategy, things like that, which are people, when they start needing like a strategy on like how to form relationships, like maybe that's beneficial in the very beginning or, you know, to kind of wrap your head around like the groundwork of like maybe the why or the what, Mm -hmm. but very quickly, like in a conversation, you have to rely on, you know, your soft skills and your natural ability to keep something going. Because I meet so many people with content and I think this is a reoccurring thing is it's like scaling something before they've even figured out the relationship. And I'm guilty still of trying to like scale something, but it's like, wait, who is this for? Who am I talking to? And that even if it is like one-to-one, even if it just did start there, I'm like, that's super powerful because you get so much data. Like it's hard to get, you can't get data through likes and views, you know, that's not telling what a conversation would tell you, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that as podcasters, it is so important to know who we're speaking to. And it's also challenging because you don't know who's listening on the other side unless you are compelling enough that they actually reach out and tell you. And in that case, then you generally are only hearing from like your super fans or your super haters. <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's like really that needs to be a super strong reaction for them to actually like um, kind of take the leap to email or to somewhere else. I do think something, a trend I'm enjoying kind of witnessing in podcasting is the way that like Spotify is building in more interactive things so people can more easily kind of give you feedback and you can hear from them. And that's really helpful for us as creators to know what's resonating you know, what paths can we go farther down? What are ideas that we loved that like maybe no one else cares about, which is an experience I have regularly. And so much of that, like it all happens in conversation, like you're saying. And I think that kind of a position that I'm in that a lot of creators find themselves in is like, what do you do when you really want to value the one-on-one, but also now your community has grown too big for you to be one-on-one with everyone because <laughs> as much as like, you know, as much as social media gave me a few, like leaving social media gave me a few extra hours a week, it didn't give me like 40 extra hours a week for, <laughs> to have connection calls, right? Like yeah. I, I could be practical <laughs> as well. Um, and I'd prefer to have very few calls a week, not a ton of yeah. them. Um, <laughs> have to talk everyone so individually. So I think that like, <laughs> yeah, no, like we, we can't. That's why content is so appealing. Yeah. Like it's why podcasts are appealing. Like we, we want to make content because we want to work less. And it's kind of been sold to us as this way we can talk to a lot of people at once and that they will appreciate what we say and then buy things from us. And I think that that works, but you have to be really good at it. And it takes time to build that skill. And I'm still trying to kind of find these ways to maintain the real like relationality in my work and keep that sort of face-to-face interaction where I can, or, you know, through Zoom, it's not in person, but virtual face-to-face interaction. I don't want to retreat fully into content. Like I want a business where I am like living and talking to people, but I need to find ways to do that that aren't like overloading my calendar. And so one of the things that I've just launched as we're recording this, like in the past week that I'm really excited to see how it works out is an online membership for off the grid listeners. 
it's not an ongoing community. I'm not in it for like the MRR, the monthly recurring revenue. <laughs> it's like an annual membership where we have sort of online course library and then we come together seasonally next year. So I'll do like four live calls with people. And that's my way of trying to both like be face to face and like talk to the people who love the show, give them the support that they need, learn from them what they want more of and like maintain my energetic sovereignty is how I talk about it on the show, but like this space where I can like have enough creative energy to keep doing the work, keep living my life (laughs) and keep, you know, feeling good about it throughout. Whether you're a podcaster, TikToker, Instagrammer, YouTuber, an artist, or just a person who makes stuff and shares it online, and you're maybe a little tired of doing things solo, I'm inviting you to join us in the Creator Club. The Creator Club is made up of individuals who all have a similar goal, make an impact. We have weekly live calls, topic-focused discussions, areas for feedback, templates and resources to help you grow. You can try the club out for seven days free right now by visiting www.thecreatorclub.com or just look in the show notes of this episode. Join the Creator Club today. That intentionality, like it seems like you bring such intention to what you do and, you know, of course the, the reason you do what you do, but I absolutely love that you're setting up the membership from that same point of not like this ongoing thing. That seems to be a common thing, isn't it? Especially on online business, like looking around at what other people are doing and like, I have to do it this way or I have to do it that way. You're such a rule breaker, Amelia. Um, (laughs) (laughs) which explains off the grid. So with the leaning in, I love how you're setting it up of like, you're in, you're present. And then when you're off, you're off. There's not like this expectation to be on. I think that's a lot of things that people run into with social media and podcasting or just anytime they're building like a platform is I need to be on all the time, or at least give this illusion that I'm on all the time. Doesn't it seem that way? Yeah, it definitely seems that way. And I think that, you know, as creators or business owners, that can feel almost like natural or intuitive at first. Like, I'm thinking about my work most of the time, to be honest, like, I love what I do. I'm always like coming up with like an idea for an episode, or I'm thinking about something a client needs, or, you know, that's that's with me a lot of the time. And so if that's true for you, then it can feel really easy to just be like, well, I'll just throw it up on Instagram or, well, I'll just like, oh yeah, it's 11 PM. But like, I saw that person in my membership community posted something. So let me just go look at it real quick. You know, like it's really easy if we love our work and it's with us all the time, it's really easy to be working or doing it all the time. And I think that that's not sustainable for a very long period of time. It's sustainable for different people for different lengths of time. For some people, they're like, I did it for one day and I cannot ever do it again. For other people, they're like, I did it for 30 years and now I have all these health problems and I have to stop. (laughs) Like These are kind of the narratives that we see around it. And it's something I struggle with too. I'm certainly not saying I've like figured it out, but I am really trying to, I suppose like, something I talk a lot about is just like living in alignment with my values. And I'm really trying to, I guess, model like 
making business work in a way that doesn't like totally drain you and burn you out and exhaust you and also doesn't like scale so you're so removed from your business you're not doing anything you like anymore. Like I'm I'm not going that path. I'm not scaling <laughs> and I'm not burning out. And I'm really trying to like walk this little middle this line where I managed to kind of stay in between those two things. And it's, you know, I'm like three years in now and it's been a journey and I'm still learning every day, like what works for me, what doesn't work for me, what my community likes, what they don't like. Sometimes what really works for me, they don't want to buy it. Sometimes what they really want, I don't want to offer it. <laughs> so So we have to find that sort of like, you know, um, place where we can all get the support we need. I can relate so hard with that. Yeah. The things I uh, sometimes I'll, I'm so excited about this idea. It's like a no brainer on a way I could offer support. And it seems like the clouds have parted and ah, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then nothing, you know, it's like, what, yeah. what do you yeah. need? This was like exactly what you need. This is what we spoke about, you know, it's like, <laughs> yes. it's like, oh, I don't know. Cool. Sounds good. It's like, what? Oh, all right. One thing I just did recently, which I wish I would have done sooner is I got a separate phone. Like mm. I'm big on mindfulness, but one of the things that I feel like kicks me out of being able to just like kind of be a bit in the flow is notifications. Uh, and I don't have any mm. notifications turned on for like mail or I don't even know. Yeah, I have notifications turned on for text, but not like a, a vibration or sound or anything. Just it pops up. I'm always like trying to clear things. And so I got a work phone that like then I can mm. keep it separated and it's been so nice. Do you have any practices that maybe are normal to you, but weird to others <laughs> <laughs> that you like to do as far as, um, and it could be anything. It doesn't matter. Small, big, whatever. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I aspire to a work phone. I think it's in my near future. Um, it's always felt like such a, it's funny now that I say this, I'm like, this is such a silly story I have in my head that it's like the ultimate luxury. I'm like, it's literally something I could pay like the 50 bucks a month. Yeah. Oh, I thought the same. I 100% thought the same. And when I realized I'm like, wait, I also don't want like the latest model because it, it shouldn't be because I don't, I'm not going to like use it for that. And yeah. I tell you what, like I forget about it at nights because I just leave it in my office. It's almost like I use it like a connected wired phone and I walk away from yeah. it and I forget. And the next morning, I'm like, oh yeah, oh, was I supposed to check that? But I'm like, no, this is normal. Yeah. I, my like analogous thing would be that I have a work computer and that made a really big difference for me. And honestly, part of the reason that happened is because as an editor, I just needed a much more powerful computer. And so I had to buy a new one. And then I set some pretty clear boundaries around like, this is the computer where the work happens. And it lives in my office almost all the time, sometimes we'll go to the couch or the porch to work. But then like at the end of the day, it goes into the office and it closes and I'm done working. And I also have a home office and a door that shuts on it. And I try to like literally close it at the end of the day. (laughs) I don't know if these are uncommon practices, but they're small ways that, yeah, that I try to create that sort of separation between work and life when you're somebody who works and lives in the same physical location. I'm trying to think of any other 
I mean, we've already hit so many of the the big ways that I have these counterintuitive habits or odd habits of like not being on social media mm-hmm. um, or, you know, running, not having a monthly membership, which it seems like everyone is doing. And I think the other thing, what's coming to mind is just like, I really try to care for my clients and my work. Like I send a lot of gifts to my clients and my team. I'm always like making a new sticker, sending a new postcard. I host a Halloween party for my team every year and a Valentine's party for my clients every year. And we do these sort of fun like virtual gatherings. And for me, like I'm an extrovert. I love people. And those are ways that I really like take care of the other people in my business and also take care of myself and my business. And there's something about, I guess the way I'm I'm thinking of this in relationship to your question is like, I do so much work to like separate my work from my life. But sometimes the most powerful work I do is actually the things that like really integrate my humanity into my work. And that like makes it feel good um, and makes it more sustainable for me because I feel like, okay, right. This is about people. This is about like caring for each other. This is about celebrating together. And it feels really good to do that. In addition to, you know, like closing my computer and pretending my clients don't exist. Sometimes I need that. (laughs) Sometimes I need to like party with them and remember that we're all like real people and not just like podcasts on the internet. Yeah, Yeah, like uh, virtual avatars or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. So I wouldn't have thought uh, that you're an extrovert, like, um, um, you know, generalization, like, what if that like, oh, I'm not on social media. I'm an extrovert, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, do you mind sharing? I guess more, cause I just find it so fascinating. My perception is like, Oh, like, like I'm more introverted. Social media to me is draining in the sense of like, Whoa, it's a lot of people. My battery is like starting to deplete every minute I'm on there. Um, but is it the, is it the level of depth that's not, achieved through social media that is like the off-putting thing? Yeah. So this is a, a really astute question. I think a lot of people leave social media because it's really overwhelming for them. And maybe one of those reasons is because they're an introvert and they're actually like, this does drain me. And I hear that a lot. For me... I loved social media in so many ways. Like I thrive, like give me a platform and let me like try to be shiny and I'm all about it. Like (laughs) I do love that. I love talking to people. I love picking up their energy. Like it really fuels me. And when I decided to leave social media, it was for many reasons, but I would say a really big one was actually an issue of values alignment because around the time I was leaving, there's just a lot of reporting about Instagram's terms of service, about the ways that TikTok was really getting going. And there's a lot of reporting about kind of the surveillance that these apps were doing on our phones, how if you weren't careful, you were opting into them tracking your location at all times, tracking what you're doing in other apps, you know, apps turning on the mic on your phone to listen. You know, I was like reading all of this. I was reading Shoshana Zuboff's book on surveillance capitalism. (laughs) And this is where like my PhD in philosophy really like kicked on. And I was just like, this, I started to have this sense that like my thoughts were not my own. It was a little like, I mean, I was, I'm not into 
well, I'll pause. <laughs> I had a sense my thoughts were not my yeah. own. Um, and I was like, I am really influenced by the things I'm seeing here. I was looking around my house being like, wow, I owned so much stuff because people on the internet said it was cool and it was easy to order and I spent my money on it. Or, you know, I was like, wow, I really take seriously what this person is saying, but I'm realizing I know nothing about their life. And actually, like, we have no mutual friends and I have no clue if they have even actually any knowledge about this thing they're talking about. And putting all that together, I was like, oh, okay. I want to like return to my own mind and figure out what I think and believe about things. And I want space to articulate that in more nuanced ways. And because I'm an extrovert, I have a very large friend group virtually and in person. And I kind of felt like I didn't need social media to fuel that part of me. So I didn't have to leave because I felt like personally overwhelmed. It was more about kind of having these realizations about the impact it was having on my thoughts, my beliefs, the actions I was taking, particularly the things I was buying. And I wanted to step back from all of that, which I think is something like introverts and extroverts alike can a conclusion they can come to if they so choose. A hundred percent. And, you know, some people watch Netflix to relax. I read consumer psychology books from the fifties and forties. <laughs> you know, that's like, cool. that's my way of chilling out is reading about how car companies started, you know, creating models of cars to appeal to the deeper desires of, you know, yes. humans. Like I love that stuff. And I live. Oh my gosh. Like, I, I used to teach just to, uh-huh chime in on that exact thing. I used to teach when I was in grad school, one of the classes I taught was about how the reason we eat bacon for breakfast is because people who made bacon went to these marketing agencies and said, we want to sell twice as much bacon. How can we sell twice as much? And they were like, make people eat it twice a day. So they made bacon a breakfast food. It was like a, it was a marketing campaign is how this happened. That's wild. That we now like associate bacon with breakfast. So I'm with you. I'm very much into this sort of like looking at the history of how the things that we now take to be like normal to eat or drive or do are sometimes just decisions that a marketing strategist. Yeah. And we make them our personality, the extreme of the bacon craze and I don't know where bacon stands today. I'm trying to think of like what the popular thing is, but where the extreme of the bacon craze definitely had to have been the bacon alarm clock that you put next to you. And when it went on and then you wake up to the smell of bacon and it was people's identity. It probably still is, but yeah, it is huge. And I, I find that fascinating of like the whole identity of, you know, consumerism and, and things like that. Yeah, I, I find that so fascinating. And it's just crazy to think I'm like Wikipedia educated in this stuff and documentaries. Oh. So like in books and stuff. But uh, as far as I can tell and what I've learned is uh, Edward Bernays, the like founding father of... Um, that's the bacon man. That's the bacon man. Yeah. <laughs> he's the godfather of bacon. Um, <laughs> he's the one that really, you know, public relations, which... We started as mm-hmm. pro- propaganda and then turned into public relations, became like the person that is responsible for so much of, of how we interact with, you know, things like, you know, like even from like smoking, like women, that was a thing for mm-hmm. associating, linking the desires of humans with selling more products, which, you know, I think it was like a, a parade New York that, you know, he's like, we're going to have women smoke because that was 
frowned upon uh, or illegal. I'm not sure if it was illegal, but frowned upon. And so they were in afraid smoking yeah. and that sold more cigarettes and it symbolized freedom, like lot stuff. Yeah. I mean, the idea, the experience of associating our identity with a brand or even with a product is such a uniquely like 20th, 21st century experience and really has only been around for what, like 70 years, 80 years maybe. And we don't realize that like this is not the only way to live or be and that it's actually like a very recent historical phenomenon. And I think that I love that you're bringing this up because it's learning these sorts of things that helped me realize that like we can liberate ourselves from some of these choices or like if it's not working for you, you don't have to do it that way. And that's really been my approach to social media in my own life and through off the grid, which is I often say like, I don't actually care if any individual person or business is on social media. Like I would say probably most off the grid listeners and community members are still on social media. Like they haven't actually left and that's fine with me. I'm not here to tell you what to do or not to do. (laughs) What I want is to make us all realize like is to help everyone realize it's possible to get off of social media and still have a successful career, business, podcast, newsletter, whatever it is that you're desiring. And that doesn't mean that you can just leave social media and do no marketing and it will be a magical success. Like we're also not straight up magical thinking it. Like we're going to put a lot of different strategies into place and it may happen on a different timeline and it may happen in a different way. And you may have to change some things about what you're making, but like we can make it work if you don't want to be on social media and it's not impossible. Like people think it's impossible, but it's very possible. 100% possible. (laughs) The susceptibility thing too is something that I'd love to chat with you about too, because I find this interesting. So like going back in the day for a minute, you know, in the forties, primarily like cars where they, it was just like a, this is a 42 Ford or a 43 Ford. You didn't have like multiple, uh, models within a make of a car, right? It was just like Mm -hmm. a Ford, a Chrysler, whatever other kind of cars there were, I don't know, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> the other ones, but it was just like that. And then how do they sell more cars? They come out with, you know, different models. And then like looking at, I was like, all right, how many like versions, how many offerings does Toyota give? Right. They give, I, th- I forget exactly. It's around like 200 each year of like the different, if you look at like the different trims and models and makes, um, and within like just a Corolla, a Toyota Corolla, I think there's eight or nine options. And, you know, yeah. that's, that's to appeal to different ones. You got the sporty ones, the family ones, the people, and it's each of those is marketed towards a specific person and where mm-hmm. they're at in the like buying decision and how they feel this car says about their own identity and things like that. It's not like they just had to create a sport version of a Toyota Corolla Every line has a sport version that is appealing to like that person, right? Mm-hmm. The longest winded way of saying when you're like marketing yourself online or you're creating content, you know, you're in this stage of like, I need to grow, which I don't think most people realize that that makes them more susceptible to so much marketing and not knowing the person behind who's marketing it. That's also like marketing to them 
about, you know, whatever it is that they're selling. And, you know, our like kind of like BS meter is higher these days, but at the same time, like people just selling this promise or this desire, feeding into this desire of like doing more and more, there's these people marketing towards me, but it's like, what's the alternative? You know, that's what I think a lot of people think of. It's just, there's no alternative. I have to do it this way. And you're offering this whole other, you know, solution. Yeah, I'm trying to. I mean, I think that something I really felt on social media specifically that I think speaks to what you're saying is so much of the marketing there is trying to convince us that we need things. Like this is even true in your Corolla example. Like, I'm not really, I don't think that there are like 20 different types of people coming to Toyota that like distinctly need different Corollas. Like Toyota has created these options and then they're using these like marketing blitzes to convince people that that's what they need. And so like marketing can work in that, you know, more coercive way of like trying to tell us what we desire. But I'm much more interested in just trying to help people to solve the problems they actually have or find like joy and pleasure in the life they're actually living rather than to like convince them they have a new problem. So this is something I say a lot at Softer Sounds like I'm not actually in the business of convincing people they need to make a podcast. There are plenty of podcast studios out there who are in that business who are telling everyone that they need to make a podcast. That's not the business I'm in. I'm in the business of when someone has an inner desire to make a podcast and wants a particular type of partner and a really high quality service, that's where I step in. But I'm not trying to convince them to start a show. That's not interesting to me. And I find that when I do try to convince people to start shows, or even when I've worked with companies where they're starting a show because it's a really like strategic decision, not an internally motivated one, the work to me is less fulfilling and less interesting. And so I feel similarly about marketing in general. And I think you're right. It can be very easy to be swayed in these moments to like really create problems that people need your thing to solve. And I just... I'm not interested in doing business that way or in creating that way. It never has felt motivating to me. Yeah, same. And it's tapping into the problem of like this endless pit in a way of like, you know, more and more and more versus what you're saying is like, you you can give up that idea of, you know, trying to be the next Mr. Beast. You know, um, do you know who Mr. So Mr. Beast is this kid? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <You know. laughs> just, the Mr. Beast yeah. is on mainstream news enough that I had caught on, but I'm also just like, uh, yeah, we don't. I think I, I could be one and done with Mr. Beast in the world. <laughs> right. I think we all could just take a break, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, I would just love to see people making less. And like the common advice is to make more. And I think that when I say make less, like, I think that that invites us to make things that are more resonant, that are more impactful, that are more meaningful. I really love to see people iterating on what they make. So like, you know, though my approach has really been about like, like, if I think about a podcast season, you know, I'll start with like four to six episode ideas and I'll make those. And then I'll kind of see what people are into. What are we feeling right now? What does everybody want more of? And then whatever they like the best, I'll kind of take the top two things and I'll make something like that goes deeper into that or that like approaches it from a different perspective or that like brings on an interview to help me like explore it in dialogue instead of just like what's happening in my brain. 
And then maybe from there, like that turns into a product. It's like a workshop or like it maybe it goes off the pod feed or maybe it becomes, you know, a webinar I do, or maybe I take it as an interview to another podcast. And then from there, maybe it becomes a keynote talk that I do. I don't really do keynote talks, but I hear everyone does them and they're great. Um, (laughs) The app, I use the app keynote, you know? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Um, You know, they're just, I like to see that happening as well, where we're really like, helping our ideas evolve. And that's really what I think, like, it's like finding reach through resonance instead of just like throwing a lot of content out there to maximize reach without really having something impactful to say. So I think most people are scared to do less and I want to encourage them that they can do it. And for me, what's underneath that, like to go a step deeper into this is like, I find that most people have not actually articulated their goals for their work. Like they don't know what they want. They like w- want to be a creator or they, like want to be an influencer or they like want to be a business owner. But like that's an identity. <laughs> it's not really a goal. Like you can decide you're a business owner today and just call yourself one and then you've accomplished it. But that's not what they mean. And so I think that it's really important work to get underneath that and get clear on your goals. Because I encounter this with podcasters all the time. I encounter this with off the grid community members and interweb members all the time. I'm like, what are we actually trying to do here is what I'm always asking people. Like, are you trying to make six figures off of partnerships? okay, (laughs) is that something you actually want? Like we can go down that path together. Most people I find don't actually want that. They think they want that. They think they want to be an influencer, but then they're like, yeah, but I want to spend less time on social media or like, yeah, I want that, but I don't want to do TikTok. And I'm like, okay, maybe if you don't want to be on social media and you don't want to do TikTok, you actually want something else. Or we need to come up with a great way for your newsletter to make all this money. You know, like, I think we have to get deeper into our desires and what we want. And for me, what I want (laughs) had to do with, I wanted to work for myself because I've never excelled at having a boss. I don't, I need like time freedom and it's too much to have a traditional job. And I knew that that business working for myself, I was like, I need to support myself and my family. And so here's how much money I need to make. And let me think about the things that I'm good at and enjoy doing. And which one do I think can actually make that amount of money for me, it was like in six months, because I needed it to happen really fast. And that's how I launched softer sounds. And that sound I mean, and it's a beautifully mission oriented business. But it was also a very practical like, what's my core desire It was like time freedom and financial sustainability. (laughs) Like I took those two core desires and I figured it out. And I think most people never get past the like, I want to be a business owner step. Incredible. Two questions for you. I almost said last question. Two questions for you. What would you like to see more of when it comes to women and non-binary podcasters? I would like to see more of them in general. (laughs) I would like to see more of them get the support that they need to make their shows over time. I would like to see more of them making money. Although I think like how money is made in the podcast industry right now is a really big question mark. So I would love, you know, in my experience, I find like 
women and non-binary creators to be some of the most innovative and exciting. And I'd love to see us figure out together how to make money in podcasting in new ways that actually are sustainable and supportive. And, you know, I would really love to see more like networks that are really creating cool shows by about and for women and non-binary folks that aren't simply like working with celebrities and big time influencers that are just like doing things that are really breaking the mold of what we think a podcast is and can be or breaking the mold uh, in like maybe the podcast is kind of a typical podcast. Like what they're talking about is a lot more like unique and different and interesting. And I'm honored that I've gotten to work on so many shows like that. You know, that Softer Sounds is a studio, not a network, but like our roster is full of people who I just really admire for what they're doing and how they're doing it. And what I can see is that just we're all kind of burnout and trying to figure out how to keep podcasting sustainably. And so I want to see more of that. And I'm trying to help people have and do that in their work and their lives. Beautiful. And what's the best way for people to get into your world? Yes. So I have many websites. (laughs) That's going to be the best way to find me since I'm not on social media. So if you're interested in leaving social media or listening to Off The Grid podcast, you can find a lot about that at offthegrid.fun. So there we've got the podcast itself. We've got a free leaving social media toolkit that includes three really great tools, a five-step plan for leaving any social platform, a list of 100 ways to share your work without social media, and a creative marketing ideas database. So that's a really great free tool for anyone who thinks they might want to step back or step away from social media. If you're interested in the work I do with Softer Sounds, you can find our site at softersounds.studio. Come make a podcast with us, or I've got a lot of free resources if you're trying to DIY your own show. And then if you're interested in just my personal work, you can find me at ameliafreebie.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, Amelia. Oh, thanks, Dylan. This was so fun.